0: Today I'm wrapping up our series entitled, God Breathe the Holy Bible. Today's text is the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This well-known sermon covered three main themes. The good news of the kingdom of God, true righteousness is a matter of the heart, and how a disciple of Jesus Christ lives his life. Follow along as I read chapter 7, Gospel of Matthew, verses 24 through 27. Matthew writes these words of Jesus. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for being here with us in a very special way. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our teacher. And I pray through the power of your spirit that you would speak to our hearts as we look to you in your holy word in jesus name we pray amen in this passage jesus explains that when people hear him teach hear him hear his word they can respond in one of two ways each option leading to very different outcomes What seems to be a very simple story about two builders is, in fact, a shocking, in in fact, a, a powerful commentary on people who have a full head and an empty heart. A full head and an empty heart. They have head knowledge from years of listening to sermons and teachings on the Bible, but they have empty hearts. Their lives are void of personal application. They have a verbal profession of faith. They they say they know Christ, but they don't do what Christ said. They say, but don't do. James, in his letter, in chapter 1, verse 22, the epistle of James, he, he writes in verse 22, chapter 1 of James, but be doers of the word, be doers of the word And not here is only deceiving yourselves, deceiving yourselves. Well, there's so many scriptures. I can't take the time today to to read through all the various scriptures that, that reveal to us that we can actually deceive ourselves. And James here says but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves, the Greek word translated deceiving means to reckon wrong, reckon wrong, miscount, false reasoning. Do you know that we can deceive ourselves? We can. And again, there's lots and lots of scriptures that reveal to us this very reality We can reckon wrong. How many have ever reckoned your checkbook wrong and you're you're writing checks, deceiving yourself, thinking you have enough money in the account to to cover the purchase, only to find out that you have no money? You reckoned wrong. You deceived yourself. The bottom line wasn't true. The emphasis in James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And I encourage you to write that passage down. I encourage you to read through it sometime this week. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, is on the danger of self-deception, deceiving our own selves. Please hear this this morning, class of 2018. Please, everyone, from the youngest to the oldest, hear this this morning. It's one thing to to be deceived by Satan... But if we deceive ourselves, that is far more, it is a far more serious matter. It's the worst kind of deception there is when we deceive ourselves, and we can. We're very capable of it. And so God puts lots and lots and lots of of scriptures in, in in the Bible warning us be careful don't deceive yourselves over and over repetitiveness we 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 got to put on the brakes okay god why are you repeating this warning of of self deception because we all can do it i've done it i don't think i'm alone here today many people deceive themselves into thinking they're saved when when they're not I, The context of our our text in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said in verses 21 through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, we have to be careful as preachers that that we don't help people deceive themselves by checking off a box. Accepting Jesus today. Please check this box. Saved. I checked the box. I'm afraid that happens. We have to be careful. We can deceive ourselves. There are true believers as well who are deceiving themselves concerning their Christian walk. They think they are spiritually mature, but in reality, they're not. They're deceiving themselves. What do you mean? I've been I've been, you know, attending church services for the last 50 years. I'm, I'm, I'm 50 years old. Old and and attending church services. Exactly right. 50 years old and attending church services. Does not equal spiritual maturity. Church, when we are rightly related to God's truth... To his word, we cannot be dishonest or hypocritical, deceiving ourselves. Church, please hear this again when we are rightly related to God's truth, to God's word. Are we rightly related, connected to God's truth, to God's word? Again, I encourage you to read James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27 this week. In these verses, James shares three responsibilities we have towards God's Word. We are to receive God's Word. If you're taking notes, um, please fill in these blanks. Number one, we're we're to receive God's Word. We have a responsibility to receive God's Word. We gather together on days like Sunday as the, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. And one of the things that we do is we receive God. We have a responsibility. responsibility to bring ourselves to the table knowing that man does not live by physical bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and so we have a responsibility to come to the table amen church to come to the table and be and receive the living word of God because man does not live by physical bread alone The second responsibility is, as we receive this word, we're to practice God's word. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And the third responsibility we have is to share God's word. Let me just say for a moment, it's not enough to hear the word. We must do it. Amen? We must do it. Practice the word. Can we say that together? Practice the word. Please. Be careful not to make the mistake of deceiving yourself. Thinking that hearing a good sermon by a captivating communicator. Or being part of a Bible study. Or, or having morning devotions. Is what makes you grow and, and get God's blessing in your life. Yes. Hearing The word preached and taught is vitally important for your faith. Having a daily time set apart, set aside for devotional reading is a wonderful, wonderful spiritual discipline. But it's not the hearing only, but the doing. It's the hearing and the doing that brings the greatest blessing, practicing God's word. The more you practice, the better you get. As a person? Do you know that to be true in your own life? The more that you practice God's word, the better you get as a person. Husband, wife, the more that you practice the word, the better your marriage gets. The better your whole life gets when you practice God's word. Word. And we have a helper, the Holy Spirit, who enables us, who teaches us, who guides us, who, who comforts us. Can I hear a, a big amen? As you practice God's word in your relationships, class of 2018, as you practice God's word in your relationships, your relationships in this world will get better, will get stronger as you practice God's word in those relationships. Can I hear a big amen from the older generations? Mm -hmm. Yes. We practice God's word. We get better at serving others. We get better at not serving ourselves and trying to get our way. No amens. You know, growing up, I loved playing baseball. I loved playing baseball. Any opportunity I had to be on a baseball field, I was going to be on a baseball field you know winters in the in the in the northeast you spend pretty much most of your time indoors i thank god for our basement i thank god for tennis balls i would go in my basement and for hours i would just throw that tennis ball off the wall i had my my mitt on one hand the ball in the other and i would throw that tennis ball off the wall and boy i would just be Fielding grounders, lots of different grounders, not knowing exactly where that ball was going. Oh, it just developed my reflexes and really helped me in in fielding and grounding baseballs. When I got on the baseball diamond, I saw the improvement from all the practicing during the winter, throwing a tennis ball. How many of you, you did the same thing, the tennis ball, throwing it off the wall? Practice, practice, practice. We grow. We grow. Our skill of playing gets better and stronger. Amen? Church, the more we practice God's word, the better we get as a person, as a follower of Christ. God doesn't want us to stay where we are today. God doesn't want us to stay where we are today. He wants us to grow. And we grow when we practice God's word. We don't grow by just hearing God's word. Patrick, this is how you grow. Patrick, this is how how you grow. No, I have to apply the fertilizer to my life so I can grow. I can read the instructions on the back of the fertilizer bag all I want until I open up the bag and apply the fertilizer. There's not going to be any growth in my life and all of our lives here today. That reminds me, hon, I think Is it our third application or fourth? Third? Second. Second, okay. Make a note of that, would you please? Hey, we're real people just like all of you here. We're doing life together. We're growing together. We're learning to follow Jesus Christ together. Amen, church? And so in James chapter 1, verse 25, James calls the word of God the perfect law of liberty. Why does he call the word of God the perfect law of liberty? Because when we obey it by applying it, God sets us free. God sets us free from a host of things that once mastered us. God's word is more powerful than those things that master us, that rob God of his glory. I love the declaration, the determination of the psalmist in Psalms 119. In fact, the whole psalmist, the longest psalm in the Bible, um, it's, it's all about the word of God. And I love, I love the determination. I, I love the declaration of the psalmist. Starting in verse forty-four, he, he declares he's determined. I will keep on obeying your instructions forever and ever. He's he's committed. He's committed. I will walk in liberty. I love his determination. I, I love his declaration. I will walk in liberty in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. I will speak about your laws. I'll share your word. Isn't that what James says? We have a responsibility as Christ followers. I will speak about your laws, and I will not be ashamed. I love you. This might hurt you, spirit of humility and gentleness, but this is what God's word says. God's word trumps cultural acceptance. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Oh, how I delight in your commandments, the psalmist declares. Oh, how I I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your word. When the psalmist says, Oh, how I love them. Oh, how I honor and love your commands. He is declaring his personal love for God. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's what the psalmist is declaring. Because I love you. I love your word. They go together. They're inseparable. In fact, they can't be Separated. How often do we forfeit the liberty? How often do we forfeit the freedom God promises because we fail to obey God by by applying his truth, by obeying and applying his truth. We live broken and and bitter lives, trapped in the prison of our own self-inflicted misery, all because we fail to, to fall in love with God's word and obey God's word and apply God's word. Friends, I love you. We just don't apply it when it feels good. No. When it goes against everything that we feel. You don't understand, Pastor. I've been trying. I continue to get offended, I continue to get hurt. No, we trust God. We love him enough and his truth enough that we're going to live by it. Even if it means living hurt, I'm going to live by it. Because I know he's doing a healing, though I can't see it now. I know that he's working. I know that he's working. I know that's hard, isn't it? I struggle with that kind of trust. Am I alone here this morning? But boy, when I finally surrender and say, okay, God, it goes against everything in my flesh. It doesn't make any sense, but I'm gonna apply this. I'm gonna apply this. I'm gonna continue to apply this. I'm gonna apply this, God. Oh, God, I'm gonna apply this. I'm gonna continue to apply it. I'm gonna apply it again. God's working, amen? He's working. He's working. We have to trust him. We have to trust him. Amen, church? Our main scripture text, we're gonna briefly walk through it here this morning. I wanna begin by walking through the similarities between the two builders. Number one, both heard Christ's words. There are several things to note here. Jesus is telling a story with universal application. Jesus talks about hearing in verses 24 and 26. The Bible tells us that hearing is important. You have to hear about Christ before you can believe about Christ. Romans 10:7 says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So hearing is vital to faith. Then Jesus talks about these sayings, words of mind. Would you circle the word mine? The emphasis is not just on the words spoken, but on the speaker. These sayings of mine, would you circle the word mine? Or write it on your outline if you don't like to write in your Bible. You see the Sermon on the Mount, these are Christ's words. This is Jesus speaking. The Son of God, God in human flesh. It is vital to hear what Christ has to say. The first similarity between the two builders is that both heard Christ's words. Both heard the word of God. The second one is this. They both built houses. And that's important because we are all building something. Every one of us here today, we are building something. We are all building a life. Some of us are building a family, step by step, stone by stone, decision by decision, minute by minute, day by day. You and I are building something a life, a marriage, a family, a career. Paul writing to the church in Corinth he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 10 and 11 according to the grace of God which was given to me the apostle Paul as a wise master builder i have laid the foundation paul planted the church in corinth and another builds on it on what paul started paul started the work there But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul planted the church in Corinth on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and glorious, powerful resurrection. The strength of the church is determined by its foundation. And as far as the Apostle Paul is concerned, there is no other foundation stronger or more sturdier or powerful than Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul warns each one should be careful how he builds. What are you building? We're all building something. Is it a career? What foundation are you building on? Is it a life? Is it a marriage? Is it a family? What foundation are you building on? Each one should be careful how he builds because at the end of your life, at the end of my life, we don't get to go back and rebuild. We just don't. Right now, this is the age of grace. At the end of our life, when we stand before God, we don't get the opportunity to go back and rebuild. The third similarity is this, both houses were tested. Friends, Christ followers, our faith will be tested. Storms will come, how many know something about storms? Storms will come, storms will come. And Jesus says, and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and and, and beat on it. Both houses, both houses. We will all encounter storms in life. And when the storms hit, they will reveal our face. In fact, in his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 say, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Sometimes we need a storm. Sometimes we need a storm. Why? Well, Peter goes on, That the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God uses storms in various ways in our lives as one way. One way is to reveal the genuineness of our faith and to realign us with his word. How many of you, you've, you, were, you were in a storm. God allowed us to, to enter that storm. And, and as you're praying and you're seeking God the Holy Spirit reveals to you that your life is out of alignment with God's truth you would not have known it unless it was for that storm he loves us that much that he allows storms to come into our life to realign us with his word with his truth isn't that glorious church that God loves us that much and you know he's with us in the storm he doesn't leave us He's with us. He's with us. Even when we have doubt, he's with us. Where was he in the boat when the disciples were in the midst of the storm and they were doubting? They were filled with fear. Jesus was in the boat. The boat was sinking. Jesus didn't say, oh, boy, I'm getting out of this boat. It's sinking. Look at these. They're doubting me. They're not trusting me. I'm out of here. This boat's about to. No, he stayed in the boat. And he spoke to the storm right at the perfect time. And after speaking to the storm, he spoke into the lives of his disciples, the perfect word of God right at the perfect time. Isn't that glorious, church? Now, the Bible uses this storm imagery, not just for the storms of life, but also as a symbol of the final judgment of God. We're all going to stand before God at the end of this life. In fact, this is the storm that Jesus has in mind as he concludes this incredible sermon on the mount. The storm is a picture of God's judgment. I encourage you to read the entire sermon on the mount. It begins in chapter 5 of Matthew, and it ends in chapter 7. Here in chapter 7, as you read through the whole chapter, Jesus talks about two roads earlier in verses 13 and 14. One that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. You see, the two roads illustrate the cost of our profession of faith. There's a cost involved. Jesus paid the ultimate price, the ultimate cost to secure our forgiveness, to to secure our salvation. I am so thankful, amen, that he paid the ultimate price. Can I hear a big amen? Hey, church, let's say a big amen to class of 2018. Jesus paid the ultimate price to secure their salvation, my salvation, your salvation. I'm so grateful, amen, I'm so grateful. But there's a cost involved. We have a cost involved. Now, the price that we pay doesn't save us. The price Jesus paid saves us in full. But the two roads illustrate the cost of our profession of faith. Jesus said in those two verses, 13 and 14, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And so the two roads, one that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. Then Jesus talks about two trees in verses 15 through 20, one that produces good fruit and one that produces bad fruit. The two trees illustrate the genuineness of our faith. Jesus said, therefore, by their fruits, you will know them in the context of today's text. And then in today's main scripture text, Jesus talks about two builders One put Jesus' words into practice and, and the other did not. Charles Spurgeon wrote, whether your religion, faith be true or false, it will be tried. We will all face the storm of final judgment and everyone's faith will be tested in that day. You see, the two houses illustrate that true faith in Christ will last, not only in the storms of life, but also in the coming final judgment. God, Isn't that glorious? God's people, their salvation, your salvation and my salvation is secured 100% in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Pat? Because on the third day, because on the third day, day something happened that only god could do the stone was rolled away and he rose victoriously over sin and death can i hear a big amen church So the similarities between the two builders are, number one, both heard Christ's words. Number two, both built houses. And number three, both houses were tested. Now, let's look at the differences between the two builders. The differences are major, and they're meant to stand out. Number one, one obeyed, one didn't. The main difference here is what the builders do with Jesus' teaching. The contrast in Jesus' story is not between hearing and not hearing, but between hearing and doing what you heard. And First John, chapter two, verses three through six, say, "Now by this we know him if we keep His commandments. He who says, "I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar." And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him, being perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked, obeying Jesus's teachings. His words is one of the major evidences that you truly believe in him and have trusted in him. Your obedience illustrates that you know him and love him. Again, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience is the evidence of genuine faith in Jesus Christ and his word. It's a way of life. Now, please, here this morning, it doesn't mean you're perfect, it doesn't mean you don't ever sin, because we do. This preacher does. I don't get up in the morning and put it on my daytimer. Three o'clock today, I'm going to sin. But the reality before God and you is I sin. And I'm so grateful for 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It's written for you and me, to the believer, the Christ follower. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's not a way of life. It's not a way of life. It's not a way of life for someone with genuine faith, sinning is not a way of life. No. It's not the norm. It's the abnorm. And it shocks us. We can't help but cry out to, oh God in heaven, I am so sorry for offending you by this sin. I confess it. Thank you for your forgiveness, your cleansing power. Our obedience isn't what saves us, but it is evidence that we're saved. Our good works don't save us, but we are saved to do good works. And Jesus is busy here. And the Sermon of the Mount, he's busy. You know what he's busy doing? He, he's busy tearing apart piece by piece the Jew system of works-based righteousness, works-based salvation that fell far short of God's standard of righteousness. And Jesus comes along and offers them true righteousness. They just didn't know what to do with this guy from, called Jesus, who claims to be God. Blasphemy. But before they could receive true righteousness, they had to recognize and accept the bankruptcy of their own system. And that's true for all of us here today. In chapter seven, Jesus destroys their whole religious system of security. Class of 2018, I love you. And God loves you with an everlasting love. Your parents love you. This church body loves you. Yes. Yes. And I'm looking at many of you. And Sammy, you're singing. What a beautiful gift, songwriting, giving God the glory. I remember the day He was born. She's getting old. He, Sammy, I'm sorry that you're getting old, Sammy. And Sammy's walking with Jesus, didn't you? Can't you just, you see it, it's so evident. But just because you grew up in church doesn't mean that you're saved, doesn't mean that you're walking with Jesus. Boy, that weighs on this pastor's heart a lot. You know, there are some here today, you're hearing. Maybe, if you're paying attention, you're hearing but you have no intention of doing. And boy, it just breaks my heart because you're deceiving yourself that the life that you choose is better than the life God already has mapped out for you in heaven. When when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, pray this way. And in his prayer, the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, he, he prays, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know that God has a plan for your life written already in heaven. It's already written in heaven. There's absolutely zero flaws in his plan. There's zero imperfection in the plan that God has already written for your life. Before your days were fashioned, the Bible says, he planned your days, and he planned them perfectly without any flaws. Isn't that beautiful church and my prayer and I pray, for, I pray for our young people. I'm praying for class of 2018, class of 27. I'm praying for the younger generation that the kingdom of God thy kingdom come, thy will be done in their lives as it's already been written in heaven even before their mother carried them in the womb. Wow. 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 In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus told these religious temple worshipers, churchgoers like us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Checking the box, receiving Jesus today, doesn't mean you're saved. Perfect attendance in Sunday school doesn't mean you're saved. Now, I'm not here to try to cause you to have doubt in your salvation. There's no doubt in what Jesus did for you. There's no doubt that he paid the price for you 100 in full and that there's nothing that you can do to earn salvation jesus secured it on the cross i'm not saying that by the grace of god that someone does check the box and 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 but they've already by faith in their hearts it was very sincere they they checked that box and yes it wasn't because they checked the box it was because of a profession of faith a belief in their heart in the finished work of Jesus Christ, accepting that finished work, accepting by faith that finished work. What Jesus did, not what they did, but accepting what he did. Can I hear a big amen, church? And then he gives them a choice in verses 13 and 14. We've already read, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Sin is fun for a season. Sin is fun for a season, but the Bible says seasons come and seasons go. I've witnessed to so many people over the years in so many different places. I've shared the gospel with some really hard hearts. (sighs) So what? I don't care. I'm going to party with the best of them in hell. I don't care. See how we deceive ourselves? You're going to care. Trust me. You're going to care. But trust me, when you finally care, it's going to be too late. You will care. You'll care and i pray it's not too late for you god loves you with an everlasting love i'm a messenger of his love and i love you too all oh, those other places that will make you laugh that will make you feel good but it's false church it's false as sammy shared prophetically today real joy Real happiness is not based on one's circumstances but in a personal relationship with the risen, living Christ who paid it all on Calvary's cross. And it's my prayer that everyone from the youngest to the oldest, class of 2018, every young person, every generation would know the living, risen Jesus Christ personally, intimately, in a transformational way. Come on, church. things are lining up we're living in a serious day we got to get serious with the things of God the word of God we can't approach God casually hear the voice of the lord And so the contrast in verses 24 through 27 is between two people who hear. Some hear his word and obey. Some hear his word and disobey. This is the reality of the story about these two builders. And it's a reality here today at Greece, assembly of God. Some will leave loving and obeying, hearing and doing, while others will leave doing just the opposite. And it breaks the Father's heart, the Father heart of God. Now keep in mind who Jesus is teaching. He is teaching God's people, the Jews. They go to the temple several times a week for worship, to hear God's word taught. Hearing is important, but it's not enough. Reading the Bible, going to church, listening to sermons on podcasts. Um, These are all good in and of themselves, but what will you do? What will you do with all that you're hearing? What do you do with God's truth? How do you apply what you hear? Both builders heard Jesus' teaching, but one obeyed and the other didn't. The second difference is this. One was wise and one was foolish. Notice in chapter 7, Jesus draws a clear distinction of two groups. Those who walk on the narrow road and those who walk on the right road. Those who bear good fruit and those who bear bad fruit. Those who obey and those who disobey. In the Old Testament, we have the examples of Cain and Abel. They shared similarities. They, they were both sons of Adam and Eve. They, they served the same God. They were brothers. Both gave an offering to God. The difference was Abel's sacrifice made to the Lord pleased God and Cain's didn't. Why? Why was one accepted and the other wasn't? We can't say for sure. Several commentaries believe the difference was the attitude of the heart, and that could be very well the case. The difference between self-righteousness and God's righteousness could very well be the case. We do know in reading Hebrews in the the New Testament, chapter 11, verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, the righteousness of God. And just maybe Cain had a full head, pride that controlled and ruled and mastered, mastered him. He had an empty heart, no humility. While Abel had a full heart, the humility that comes as you walk with a holy God who loves you, but an empty head. Ah, little, little pride, maybe no pride. Only God sees the heart. Both pride and humility, church, affects our worship, how we worship and why we worship, one negatively and the other positively. The pride in Cain's heart led to him taking his brother's life. How how foolish. Throughout scripture, God uses contrast to convey important kingdom truths that will transform us when by faith we receive them and apply them and share them. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 32 through 36. Now therefore, listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not disdain it. Do not disdain it. Blesses the man who listens to me, watching daily his gaze, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. It's a way of life. Wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. The difference between the two builders is one obeyed, one didn't. The second difference between the two builders is one was wise and one was foolish. The third difference is one built his house on the rock, one on sand. Now both houses probably look the same from the outside. They they could have been built the same, painted the same, followed the same design, but there was one major difference hidden from the human eye, and that was the foundation. The foundation is the most important part of the house. It doesn't matter how good a job you do with the rest of the house, how carefully you build it, how beautifully you decorate it, how many wonderful memories you make inside the house. If you don't get the foundation right, everything else is coming down. Everything else is coming down. You need a strong foundation for a house, and you need a strong foundation for your life. We're all building something. Paul writes, but let each one take heed how he builds. Your life might look very similar to someone else's on the outside, but what are you building on? What is your foundation? Paul writes, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The point Jesus makes in this story is the wise builder is the one who builds his life on the teachings of Jesus. The whole counsel of God's word is the foundation that the wise man built his life on. The foolish builder, well, he builds his life on anything other than God's word. Jesus said, any other foundation, and it could be many things, Opposite of my word is like building your life on sand. Sand is the weakest of all foundations. Nothing built on sand will hold up. Nothing, the first storm that hits, kiss the house goodbye. Lastly, the fourth difference between the two is this. One house did not fall, one house fell. The life built on the foundation of Jesus' teaching, you can be sure that when the storm comes, Your life will be standing when the sun comes out. The apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul, with deep conviction, he writes in verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus Christ. When you build your life on the solid rock foundation of Christ and his words, you will withstand the storms of life. And you will remain standing on the day of judgment when the sun, S-O-N, breaks through the clouds. You will be counted worthy. 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 Because you're clothed in the righteousness of his son building on his righteousness and not your own righteousness. Isn't that glorious, church? This is a a word of great encouragement for every believer. If the worship team can make their way out. But this is also a great word of warning for everyone who builds their life on the sand. Jesus said, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The word great signifies complete ruin and utter devastation. I love Proverbs 10.25. When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked, disobedient, are no more, but the righteous has an everlasting Foundation, Boy, I love that second part, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. Oh, the first part of verse 25 breaks the heart of God and breaks this pastor's heart. When Jesus wrapped up his sermon in verses 28 and 29, he says, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Would you join me standing the word translated "astonished" literally means to be struck out of your senses, to be dumbfounded. Dumbfounded, Jesus, you did this for me, Jesus. Oh, awful, Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. This is something about that name. Amazing grace, who saved a re- dumbfounded, dumbfounded. They were like. They weren't astonished only by what he had taught, but also by the way he said it. He taught as one having authority, the scripture tells us. The words that were spoken are vitally important because of who spoke them. Jesus didn't teach like their teachers of the law. Their teachers were always citing their rabbi or that rabbi, always appealing to what others had said for their own authority, but not Jesus. He was his own authority. He promised blessings that only God could provide. Where other teachers quoted other rabbis, Jesus quoted himself. Even the Old Testament prophets who spoke with authority always began their teaching. Thus says the Lord. Jesus' preface started his teachings with, but I say unto you. You see, unlike the teachers of the law, Jesus did not derive his authority from someone else. He was his own authority and he declared that people's lives would rise and fall on what they did with what he said. The crowd's were astonished are you astonished today oh let's sing this song in closing